0: Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm Kevin Rogers, and I have a special guest today, Susan Wells, who has just released this little book. Uh, And when I say little, I mean little. uh, It's smaller than my face, and uh, it's entitled, A Place at My Table, Creating Space to Belong. Uh, Over the years, Susan and I have uh, crossed paths and uh, even shared some meals at restaurants around the country. She and her husband, David Wells, currently reside in the greater Toronto area city, Burlington. So Susan, welcome to uh, the virtual table. Uh, Your book is all about tables. And uh, unfortunately, I can't offer you a cup of tea today, but I've been looking forward to having this conversation And uh, true confession, I didn't read your book until yesterday. I took uh, some time off yesterday to read through it. And let me just say, uh, wow, um, you have a really good writing style. And there were several times I had to push back tears, especially when you were talking about these um, maritime women in your childhood that prayed for you early in your life. And wow. Um, so, um, <clears throat> got to ask the uh, the author question right off the hop. Uh, have you ever uh, written a book before? Or is this uh, your maiden voyage?
1: Interestingly, I've written articles about other people. I love to be inspired by the love of others. I have written a Canadian bestseller, but it was a decorating book. (laughs) So, to your question, I've I've written a book before. I my specialty for many years was uh, my company was uh, about do-it-yourself decorating, decorating on a budget. I had a television show in Western Canada, and uh, so I've done that. But certainly, the first book of this kind, yeah,
0: is is that decorating book still available?
1: Oh, it's so out of date.
0: It's so out of date, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, a decorating, uh, decorating styles change. So it was called interior yeah. design on a dime, yeah. which my husband kind of rolls his eyes at. He knows that it really does cost more than a dime, so yeah. a lot of dimes sometimes. Yeah, but it was a good book for its time, and it helped the average person just work on their homes, make it better, and not have to spend a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I guess books on style can go out of fashion. Uh, within a couple of years. Uh, we're past the day of uh, Dusty Rose and Slate Blue. And,
1: uh... <laughs> Who'd have thought that it would ever go out of style.
0: <laughs> I know. Eh? <laughs> uh, reminds me of some churches that I visited that uh, ha- could use some up- updating in their style, but uh, they're all Anyways, um, what I loved about your your writing was this mix of personal story followed by uh, spiritual reflections. Um, I don't know if this happens when you're reading books, but it happens to me. Sometimes um, I'm reading a book and uh, if the book is saying too much of the same thing or it's stating the obvious, uh, then sometimes my mind will drift off the page. And I'll have to come back and and uh, labor through the book, but uh, I didn't have that happen once with your writing. Uh, you uh, you you kept me all the way from from start to finish. I only needed one nap in the middle,
1: so <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, I,
0: so I could process things. Um, anyways, your your spiritual reflections in the book uh, they weren't abstract reflections. They were. Um, your stories dovetailed to the to the spiritual lessons Um, so one thing that uh, becomes very apparent in in your story is the role of of your dad and uh, how that uh, shaped you um, for good and bad Um, part of your story was uh, learning to walk in forgiveness uh, when you were mistreated Um, and, and you talk about how he was an alcoholic and, and when, when he had, uh, when he was liquored up, he would become verbally abusive towards you and, and attack your faith. And, and, um, but then the next day when he was sober, it was hi little girl. And do you want some eggs? And he just, you know, friendly dad. And, uh, and so you, you, you lived with this pendulum swinging your dad and, um, um, that can be so disheartening in a, in a child's life, but really at, at any age, uh, we can be disheartened, uh, by people that have that kind of unsteadiness. Um, so talk about your dad and some of those difficult experiences. Um, I'm sure that, uh, your story will, will resonate with others that maybe had to live with an alcoholic father, um, how has a lifetime of forgiveness shaped your view of others and who you are?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have a very hard time even saying anything negative about my dad. So even in the book, I wanted to offset his problems with the good parts. He, if as a friend, if you met him, he was gregarious, naturally gregarious and likable and funny he was smart, he gave me my love of history. And as many who are familiar with people who are alcoholics, and he was a functional alcoholic. He he was an engineer on the railway. And so he could go periods of time without drinking at all, and then went off work just to send into bouts of drinking and, and the personality change, you never know which way it could go, he might get even more gregarious, but certainly the dark side could come through. So you did live in a fear of what could come next. Uh, so that was tough as a kid. And for whatever reasons, I, I'm naturally not a doormat. I have very strong social justice issues and what's right. And like any person, you have a strong sense of fairness, right? So, but for whatever reason, I could see, I could always see the best in my dad. And uh, I think it was probably a spiritual component in my life. Uh, obviously, it would have been, but it's, it's a big question. We even talk about going into forgiveness, right? So um, because I had a strong sense of faith as a young child, that had been instilled in me and by a neighbor lady, but I, I did have a sense of seeing big picture and I could see my dad always in this bigger light. It helped me through a lot of hard times. But I, I don't want to underplay that. It did hurt at the time. There's no doubt about oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not just floating above, thinking about God. You know, it, it hurt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think when when people learn early in life that they have to walk in forgiveness, um, and and set themselves on that path, uh, you can you you can still be hurt, but you don't you don't um, wear those scars for life in the same way as when you allow resentments to, to set in. Um, Yeah. In um, another thing I liked in, in your book, you um, uh, make uh, friendships with uh, people that uh, are contrary uh, people that uh, don't um, agree with what you believe. And, um, and that, that's been a very important part of um, your, your life. Um, and in chapter, uh, I think chapter seven, I just want to read something you wrote here.
1: Yeah.
0: In some circles, a philosophy evolved that the only reason for making a friend outside the church was to convert them. When I was a teen, we were encouraged to share our faith with our friends, but not truly be friends with them. This dichotomy can result in Christians never developing a genuine camaraderie with people who don't hold the same beliefs. They end up praying for souls without befriending the people that embody the souls. Boy that's that's a powerful statement. Praying for souls without befriending the people that embody the souls. I I also grew up in a in a similar way and and struggled to reconcile it with uh, what I read of Jesus in the Gospels and and the way that he interacted with his world. Um, And when I think about the tables that Jesus was called to sit at uh, and those that he invited to his table, um, we understand that love was more of his mission than carefully prepared prepositions that he needed to sell to potential customers uh it reminds me that uh, maybe this has happened to you somebody you haven't um seen for a while haven't been close to and they say hey we'd really love if you could come over for dinner you know and uh um and then you find out that there's there was a motive that they were selling cookware or or uh amway or uh Or there was some some ulterior motive that didn't wasn't just about I I want you at my table because I want to be your friend. Um,
1: And you're never the same kind of friend after. No. no. You always see the person a different light.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true.
1: Something gets lost. Yeah.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, So we see Jesus um, at uh, the table of tax collectors. Uh, We see. Um, uh, people that uh, were uh, rejected in in society, the wrong people, Jesus would go to their parties. And uh, then we see his table where he invites his disciples to follow him, to walk with him, to dine with him. And when we think about Jesus at the Last Supper, you know, everybody knows that painting, right? He's he's sitting in the middle of the table and he's got six guys on each side and, and, um, but I was thinking about that. And if we painted the last supper with Susan Wells in the middle, instead of Jesus, <laughs> um, who would be, who would be at your table? And, uh, you know, um, you can, uh, I want you to think about that. You can use uh, fake names if you want, but I'm, I'm curious about the people in your life that you would deliberately choose to be at your table and you can't include your husband uh, or your kids. Yeah. Um, Maybe your grandkids.
1: (laughs) Yeah. First choice. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, the longer you're in the church and you've been in church circles a long time, so have I you better really work to get outside those church circles because your natural life is just within it. And actually it's a great part of your life and you don't have to stretch yourself. And so I will say that kind of going back to that first uh, quote you did, getting outside your, your Christian bubble, your church circle does have to be deliberate. You gotta, it it just doesn't happen naturally because before you know it, that's your whole life is kind of within this Christian realm. So, um, I'd love to see at, say, the end of my life, if I could gather people that have meant a lot to me, it it would be people like, uh, and we may get talking about this, like this couple that were involved in my life that, you know, you realize she's a prostitute, he's her pimp, and they found us, you know, and so you get people that are just so unlovely to the average person Um, you get people like maybe even extended family that you looked up because you thought you realize that God's calling me to my family and, and people, I have someone that is in my life. It is a cousin and he, he's been a Toronto sunshine boy in those days a couple of times and, (laughs) and um, you know, a business owner, but also fitness trainer and, At times, part-time stripper. And so as I said, it's not like when a woman is a stripper, almost, it sounds like I'm defending it, but you know, like, uh, so I have people in common, like people that are, I don't have a lot in common from the outside. And then you think, how in the world am I even going to find anything to talk about? Like how's business, right? You can't even go there. But um, even uh, around the table, I think a big part of it would even be people within the church and church circles and younger people that we've been able to mentor in a sense of just opening our home and i i sometimes the good thing about social media now is people can get a hold of you decades later and someone would get a hold of me and say i remember the parties at your place the sleepover with some gals and and well and i look back and there was no sermons not nothing but and the, the person at the time sharing i was going through such a struggle And I'm a teacher today, but I wouldn't have been a teacher. I'm doing what kind of what you did for other people. And it's because you had me over or uh, a lot of the times the people at my table would be people that you just kind of hung out with at the time and didn't try to be the super spiritual leader. And um, that's maybe a bit of it would be a a collection of people from within church circles and without that uh, we worked hard to to connect with, which is not easy.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, um, uh, you've um, had, I'm sure, a lot of people at your table in a lot of places. Uh, you, I know that you and David have lived uh, from uh, multiple cities across Canada, and uh, you know that uh, when you when you move around, uh, you begin to. See some of the uniqueness in in a uh, the culture of a, a city or or a province. You you begin to see what people there are really uh, valuing and what's what's important to them. Uh, but there's also this sense in in which the place that we live is something that God uses to uh, form uh, our spirit and uh our spiritual formation happens with geography mm-hmm. and uh so maybe talk about um uh like uh, i know of um, edmonton you guys were there um were you in um calgary as well
1: yep we have lived in calgary yep
0: yep uh, and Ban- uh, vancouver. vancouver
1: yep here in burlington burlington yep, yep. any
0: any place i'm missing
1: I uh, lived in Red Deer for a while too, so Red uh, deer. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are places in our lives, and uh, you do realize um, uh, people have problems no matter where they are. And yeah. in the book, I did talk a little bit about this couple, Marie and Cindy, at which you had kind of mentioned. And so here you have this affluent city, right? And problem with that is you got people who think they've got it all together, but mm-hmm. but you know this pivotal kind of encounter that we had with Marie and Cindy and I'm just jumping in throwing that in here is we don't even know how they got our names at all we tried to figure it out if it, it was someone who knew someone and it led back to the prairies and they they contacted us in this case because yeah. uh, they had just found out that uh, they just had a son and just a routine blood test had shown that this son was HIV positive. So this goes back to the nineties, right? And it's just the scare of AIDS. And and uh, so basically, obviously the son was HIV positive because it came from one of the parents. And someone had told this Murray who maybe had some sort of Sunday school experience if they could find this David Wells, somehow he'd be able <laughs> to help them and so in the I believe of, that <laughs> in the midst of affluent Vancouver and one time you know uh, when we first met them shortly after it was Father's Day I thought this baby won't be alive next Father's Day where can we meet that would be comfortable for them and they came to church with us and we had Father's Day at McDonald's this was going to be his only Father's Day our mm. kids came Princess Diana made headlines for even touching someone with HIV. And here you've got a yeah. baby, and the parents. And I was thinking, God, you know, this family's going to have somewhat of a normal Father's Day here at McDonald's. I said to the kids, yeah. just wash your hands before you eat. And, and uh, even with not knowing all the repercussions of being involved with someone like that. Like, so we're, we're, we're right in the middle of an inf- influential and affluent area of Vancouver, but we're sitting, sitting at a McDonald's. With this family having a Father's Day dinner. I think my most special Father's Day dinner ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you've uh, within the cities, there's just so many subgroups as well. I'll just jump in too, but I'll tell you a little COVID story. And we live uh, near uh, the center, you know, center part of. Burlington. I, and so we always say we have like the worst house on the block, but to, not, it's not a bad house at all, but you go near the lake. And of course, you, within just a short walk, you've got mansions on the water. And yeah. my joke, and I, I I really joke a lot. So you got to take this the right way. I'll say to my husband, I can only hope the people living in those mansions are not happy. <laughs> <You> know, it's, <laughs> it's in a fake jealous way. So during COVID, you know, I'm out for a walk, maybe walking even more. And and there's someone at a park bench, and I'm not that outgoing, I don't start talking to strangers automatically, there's a lady on her own, and and uh, I just happened to say, oh, do you live near here, and she said, oh, I, I live right there, and it's this house that my husband always talks about, saying, do you think if all the kids came together, we all lived in one house, we could afford this house, and I go, no, we could only <laughs> afford to live in the basement, but anyway, this, and I said to her, I listen, I don't normally do this, but you're new, to she was new to town, she's, her house was written up in the local paper. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a pretty iconic kind of home. But um, I said, listen, if you'd like to show you around, and I said, here's my phone number if you'd like to use it. And that's, that's the first time I've done that. I don't want to give a wrong impression. I'm not that gregarious. But we have struck up quite a friendship that the Lord has worked in. You realize, here's this person in this incredible home on their own who's just had one tough thing, one tragedy after another. Yeah. And yeah. you do realize that, But so from the outside, you almost can't even let the appearance of affluence throw you off. And through this, this wouldn't have happened without COVID. And it's been pretty neat. Um, Pretty neat, the things that have actually unfolded in one year with this person. Yeah.
0: I think uh, you're you're, um, learning or have learned to um, overcome your your fear um, of being rejected by people to say it's worth reaching out. And, um, you know, when, when, when you were talking in the story about Cindy and, um, how, um, you know, you, 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 at one point you were thirsty and you said something about it and, and so here, here's this prostitute with an HIV infected child.
1: And now full blown AIDS at the time. Full blown yeah.
0: AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we know so much more about AIDS uh, and transmission and all that now, but at that time, you know, um, there, doctors, uh, medical staff were uh, afraid to go into the room with AIDS patients. You know, so um, something, um, something inside you said, this is a risk worth taking. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, and this one particular uh, incident Uh, with Cindy it's it's a year plus later and um, Manny has committed suicide he realized he was the source of the HIV did drug overdose and she did very well for a while and came to church with us and then I lose her while if she did bad she felt she couldn't contact me till she was doing well but in this one particular case when when I mentioned about being thirsty and she has a drink box and she has a straw and she doesn't just hand it to me she unwraps the straw hands it to me with her bare hands and she's back on the street. She's HIV positive and she's been yeah. handling. you know, and I do know enough that AIDS can be transmitted through fluids. Right. And uh, so I did have a split second and maybe it's a good, it's good that I didn't have too much time to rethink it, that if I didn't take that straw from her, she would know exactly why. And I just yeah. had to trust, trust God for that. And um, something just happens in you that you just love this person that you, are willing to risk everything. But I want to just go on, be very honest about one thing, I never get past the fear. And some people think someone said to me, Oh, you just have this evangelism gift. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't actually, it's my passion. But if I wait till I get past the fear, I will never do anything. So I'm good at faking the fear. So even this per walking with this person from this affluent house, I I have all kinds of tension inside. And mm-hmm. even like I was referring to this cousin with this lifestyle that re- resembles nothing of mine. I, I, I've decided uh, the Lord spoke to me once and said, Susan, you've got to quit assuming that no one wants to hear the gospel. You've got to quit instead assume that they want to. And so I just hang on to that, but uh, I, I quite c- cleverly mask the fear, if you wait till you get past the fear, you'll never do anything. And some people maybe do. I don't, but I, I kind of step out despite the fear that I just can't get past the fear of mm-hmm. saying the wrong thing, jumping in too early. Or my biggest fear is we're going to run out of conversation in three minutes. I have nothing. <laughs> to talk about this That's my biggest fear. We're going to run out of things to talk about. Yeah. So it's very real, isn't it? It is,
0: of- yeah. And and but what what an ins- inspiration we take from Jesus, who uh, he took incredible risks, you know, touching the lepers, yeah. uh, touching people that were ceremonially unclean in the culture, and um, and uh, you know, there's um, we, you you inspired me when when I was was reading. Some of those stories.
1: Um, I'm going to throw this in, Kevin. Do you ever wonder where, and it does come up, where this feeling or this idea happened that if you hang out with a person with a certain lifestyle, that oh, I don't want them to think I condone what they're doing. And when you look at right. the life of Christ, who just was lived the opposite of that, is how did we ever get this feeling like we want to make sure yeah. they we we don't approve they know from our lifestyle we don't live anything like them so they know that yeah you know you don't you don't have to tell them you don't (laughs) have to say anything and um what an incredible mistake this feeling has been that um that somehow i I don't even know how you read the gospels and come up with that but it's really prevalent Mm -hmm. in the church right we we feel like we have to say something so they that they know we don't approve yeah uh, I so I, I just don't let myself worry about that. Uh, it's very clear by my lifestyle, where my heart is, and I want them to enjoy that as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the cities that you've lived in. Um, first of all, are, are you um, at heart, um, a, a small town maritime girl, or are you a woman of the city?
1: I want it all. You want it all. <laughs> yeah, I want it. I feel like everything in life. Um, yeah. You know what I want? My, um, I have small time values. I, I really enjoy the city. So my my ideal place is to live within a city and all that a city can offer, but to live sort of in a type of community where it was always like, you can walk to the coffee shop, right? And yeah. you don't have to get in the car. So I, I kind of, I, I have an appreciation for the values of small town neighborhoods yeah, and, um, and yet uh, all the amenities that a city offers and being able to go and uh, see things and do things. So unfortunately, like many things in my life, I, I do want it all. So I, I try to incorporate a little bit of both wherever I live somehow. Yeah.
0: Mm. What, what were some of the um, life lessons, uh, things that, that God uniquely did or a season in your life? uh that were tied to particular cities
1: yeah um moving to vancouver you can easily get overwhelmed by the affluence that you see and we went to a church that had a bit of everything but there was a lot of affluence there so there i learned is um you don't have to feel like you have to measure up to someone's expectations Um, Don't be embarrassed about who you are. And and I did learn very much to to be myself. And yet, when you get to know people, honestly, we are all the same, Uh, you know, money doesn't or affluence doesn't make a difference about what our daily struggles are. So to be very real and one person made a comment and Vancouver was such a different, different city to anything I'd ever been used to. So I actually had to make a conscious pledge to fall in love with the people of the place and someone said to me later we knew that you loved us mm-hmm. and um uh, that and i you know uh, it comes through when you go or when you're new to a church or whatever if you're mm-hmm. a part of somewhere else people can tell and so you have to make yourself uh, so in love wherever you are and even the things that you're not familiar with and so vancouver was a good lesson in that the outside you know you see, can see the the needs of a people of people like say Manny and Cindy, their, their needs are very evident. But mm-hmm. um, it gets so easy just to to be able to cover uh, who we are uh, with money and the things that money can buy. No matter even if you're middle class, you can do that. So you get to yeah. realize that uh, people are people. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to be classier <laughs> <laughs> uh, or put on airs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Vancouver taught me that. Yeah. yeah.
0: What about, uh, what about uh, the Alberta cities?
1: Yeah. So Alberta, that uh, kind of different too, especially when I first went there, I was straight from the Maritimes and, um, and it was a gathering, you know, I came from a culture where people had been there for hundreds of years, were somewhat Mm -hmm. isolated, right. Physically from um, many parts of Canada. So uh, you, I did learn that how, even how we're so influenced by our, our cu- cultural heritage of how we respond. And so I'd never been in a community before. We had many people that were first generation, second generation from Germany, from the Ukraine or whatever. And I did go to, I did learn that uh, sometimes even people's response to humor, uh, boy, did I learn the hard way that maritime <laughs> humor does not translate with Danish people at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that because you say something ridiculous, it's obviously ridiculous, or you wouldn't have said it. Like, yeah. someone like, I think she meant what she said. So, uh, so actually, sometimes you do. I did learn to actually start to read people, even deep people's personalities. Not that I had to change mine totally, mm-hmm. but I had to change how I approached people. If they, from humor to other things that they just saw, like, and very much it, they were influenced by, uh, by culture and even the hardships that their culture had gone through. So I, I did learn to, um, you know, I want Susan always to be Susan. I don't wanna be fake, but at times you can actually be a little more measured. So I learned a valuable lesson actually about sometimes just stop, read people and um, then you won't get into trouble because as much yeah. <laughs> I have Wait a minute,
0: wait a minute, Susan. I'm, I'm just waking up to something you said about Danish people, David <laughs> is Danish.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I started, not to make it too, too <laughs> And um and I love Scandinavian people. So, uh, but you do like what a difference in humor. How you oh, I yeah. mean. Okay. And if you watch say movies or anything, uh, from you know just that that whole area of Scandinavia. Boy, people see life. It's it's just. Um, so I'll tease my husband and going. There's a reason why you guys all want to commit suicide. You know? <laughs> so, I hope no one on the podcast takes me wrong, but, uh, you know, but uh, even humor is more measured and it's delivered in a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: do learn like, so when you meet someone rather than just blather on or jump in or just assume everyone is like where I came from, just stop, just take a minute and uh, mm-hmm. just get to read them a little bit too, because, and it makes a difference even when you want to approach people, um, even with the story of Christ and what he did, uh, you mm-hmm. maybe you will tell the story. It's the same story, uh, but you will tell it in very different ways, like what will connect with someone. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. if it's humor, you can use humor, but if it's empathy, uh, common interest, and, and I have learned with living in different cities too, sometimes you have to really dig to find something in common, but there's always something in common. And when you find it, just milk it for all it's worth. and uh, make that kind of pivotal in your relationship
0: yeah yeah I gotta say my uh, admiration for uh, your husband uh, I've got nothing but great admiration for him but uh, it actually uh, increased even more when uh, you told the story about uh, just shortly right after the wedding uh, when you guys got married your Two of your visiting sisters, and and you went to David and and said, "Can we have my sisters stay with us and live in the basement apartment with us uh, in the in your honeymoon years?" And I thought, "Wow, there's a gracious man." There's yeah, we we're, pro- were
1: probably married uh, less than two weeks. <laughs> I, burst out, I burst out crying and he doesn't know why we're on our honeymoon and my sisters had been out visiting See, we could travel free yeah. by my dad being on the railway and I I just could and back then we never t- He never talked about things and but I could tell things were not good and mm-hmm. I when I looked back when I look back now and think you know to going back to a little basement <laughs> suite and saying can two 16 year olds live with us the rest of the summer how yeah. creepy and weird that was <laughs> <laughs> but it, it did kind of um it, not to there's was hardly anyone I, sh- I sh- didn't have the right to ask it but he jumped in and thankfully his mother um took the girls for a lot of the time during the yep. rest of the summer but um yeah. I did have this call to my family and he recognized it and and um and it, it did set the tone for uh the rest of our lives and what our table would look like for sure
0: yeah yeah um the uh the uh, early 70s um when you first went out to uh jasper and you were involved in uh, outreach and and uh the, the the middle of um you know the the jesus movement where a lot of uh people from uh, the hippie culture or the i would say the the culture of youth at that time uh, we're very experimental, very inquisitive, looking for uh, a new set of ideals to follow, and and but many that were very very open to uh, hey, I'm I'm just gonna look at everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find some answers. And uh, what what are some of your memories of um, you know being a a young Christian? um reaching out to um you know hippies uh yeah, were yeah. you a hippie too
1: yeah I was hippie on the inside hippie
0: wannabe yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but anyway I traveled to Alberta our, our church had a set up this program where you could work in in Jasper and it get you a job and then you work with a local church all your spare time was the local coffee house and it seems so strange now doesn't it that you could go to a park and someone have a guitar and start singing nowadays if I go through a park and someone's even singing choruses or whatever it just seems weird to
0: me
1: (laughs) back then um you just had hitchhikers right and people just traveling and wanting to experience from drugs to whatever somehow find this bigger meaning in life so it really was a wide open time where uh you know I remember you know having being part of a baptismal service you know with new converts just in one of the lakes in 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 Jasper and but at the same time um as wonderful as that outreach was, and it looks like I'm doing great things for God, I have the tension of what's going on with my family as well. Yeah. So I do want to throw in like, because it might seem really brave to be talking to people in the park and all that. And it definitely was a time open to that. But at the same time, uh, the real struggle and the toughest struggle, which will always be for all of us is what's going on with our families and, and personal lives and um, So that was still always the, this was like a cakewalk, depend- yeah, what I was dealing with at home, but um, you have to be sensitive to the times, too. And what is uh, what's facilitating people's uh, searching? And it's, so this was just kind of in your face, right, with hippies and all that kind of thing. And nowadays you've got people um, they're doing yoga, they're doing meditation. Uh, they're still they're always looking for some sort of portal. And yeah. so how can you be there to Help them find, I guess, the right portal, right? And uh, so, but it was a it was a fun and exciting time back then. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and such a such a time of awakening, you know. Yeah. Uh, so many people that uh, came into the church at that time, and and one of the things that I think we sometimes might want to resist is the changes that uh, new people can can bring to our lives and to to our understanding of church and and uh, yeah
1: yeah, I'm jumping in but at the time the church some of the you know I have to I'm really careful when I say the church too because it's such a but for many people this was like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to Christianity right the (laughs) people movement was not um, overly welcomed by everyone and all the changes that it brought in people coming to church and not knowing that they shouldn't have a shirt and tie on so at at the time uh it was not always it was like the world's going to hell in a handbasket right now and mm-hmm. and yet what and in some ways it, it seemed to be but yet god used that and uh mm. so churches that grew were those that were astute to realize and and pastors that would even step in and say listen i'm you know we're going to welcome you people that said we're going to welcome you as opposed to shun you yeah. And so what seemed to be like a horrible time was actually, uh, I've read that the Jesus people movement will not get the credit for it because of the controversy, but probably was the single greatest revival. If you go by numbers in church mm-hmm. history, nothing compares to the numbers that came to faith and wow. stayed with faith. Uh, but well, as Christians, we study classic revivals, but yeah. the Jesus people revival outdid it all. But yeah. at the time it, it brought all kinds of new problems too. And, uh, <laughs> seemingly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I wonder, uh, you know, if, um, the climate is, is right in our world for another Jesus movement. Um, and, uh, I, I would hope that we're more open as the church to, to people now. Um, uh, at least I, I know many people that are, and, yeah. uh, you know, um, we're, we're constantly evolving and growing and, and uh, mining down into the values of the gospel. Um, so I want to ask you about, um, you know, in the last two years, uh, with, with all the restrictions, the limitation of gatherings, um, not being able to uh, sit at tables with people uh, other than uh, covertly. <laughs> Yeah. Or you know, I mean, we've had so many um, on and off restrictions around gathering, and uh, and I and I'm not just talking about churches. I'm talking about the whole world and yeah. and how we're working through that. Um, how has the last couple of years and the restrictions maybe challenged your understanding of hospitality? Um, you know, is uh, some people, um, are living it to the letter of the law, uh, and others are like Jesus, uh, picking corn on the Sabbath,
1: <laughs> you know, uh,
0: I know there's a restriction, but I really want to see my friend, you know, um, well,
1: it's interesting, um, my, the story of my coming to faith and my mentor, and it's my, you know, credible story of my mentor who who she herself could not go to church because uh, she had suffered from polio as a child. And Mm -hmm. so, and for many years in my formative years, I I wasn't able to go to say an evangelical church where I hold, you know, that really taught the whole full message of the gospel. So my, my coming to faith and spiritual formation had nothing to do with the church building. Uh, The person who, change was used of God to change my life and my entire family's life never never got to go to a church building and so maybe what that maybe an advantage that has been to me and I love church I love gathering Uh, it it's not the same online but having said that I saw i witnessed firsthand how when the building seemingly is taken from you um I don't even want to call it plan B. you got another plan. you got another way. And Mm -hmm. talking about the Jesus people movement or now, I think the Bible always talks of us, talks to us about look, search, knowing the times, understanding the times, what a time, what do you hear about all the time now increased suicide? You hear about stress. You hear about that word. So where is the church? Where are church people in the midst of this? How are we stepping up? And so, I've loved the way our churches have stepped up to serve communities from getting groceries and all kinds of things. But personally, um, a couple of things have opened up. We got to meet a bunch of neighbors that we just never knew before, because a lot of times, depending on where your house is situated, you don't get to, but just a couple of blocks over, there were neighbors that starting to meet every Friday night at seven o'clock on the street. Like it's literally, you know, on the sidewalk, uh, everyone pretty well has a glass of wine with them. I don't have yeah. one, yeah. they're they're spaced. And so we find this, this group. And I said, you know, I kind we're of, go, we're going on our Friday night walk and I just teased and said, Oh, are, you know, are the Wells is able to come and And so in that group though, we find that uh, there's someone who grew up in the church. We know who the parents are and other people in the family are, but he drifted away and so he finds out, you know, that I'm married to, that my husband's a minister in this denomination. And and no. so all of a sudden, like we've connected with this person and um, and then who's actually, his mother-in-law ended up being on the news because they didn't think she was going to survive COVID. And for whatever reason, they ended up in the news, but we're able to pray and I, I'm able to even meet the husband of this um these in-laws and just say we had a group praying for you like it allowed for that and uh this one neighbor from this very wealthy home on the lake and so okay we're not in homes so uh, one interesting story so you you walk you walk a lot and if you can meet in cafes outside you do that and so the table can change but uh, one interesting just a little story about this one person after walking for about a year she says to me you know i feel like i should go to church like when i can i and i was like ah i can't believe it like you brought up the subject of church and she (laughs) mentioned it passing is like and i'm thinking how can i work this out and then i'm getting anxious like can i just in my church will be so different than hers how can i work this out well within a few days of that um we had a new pastor come to our church we didn't know who he was it's covid right it's online services pretty well no one has met this pastor except for staff so We get to meet them, and we go down to for a walk by the lake, and we come by, and here's this new COVID friend of mine, and and so I don't know why it's eight thirty in the evening, and our friend said, well, we need to get home to our kids, and and so she, I introduce our pastor and his wife to her, and she goes, would you like to have tea? And so we say, oh no, it's okay because we're on our way, and then it's it's like the Lord just stopped me, like why are you giving this up? And I kind of mouthed to Dave's talking to her, and I mouthed, can we stay? So they're like, sure, we can stay. So here she is 830. And she's bringing tea out to her table. It's actually overlooking Lake Ontario. And I'm we're there for 45 minutes talking. And I'm thinking no one in the almost no one in the congregation has had this one on one time with this pastor. But my COVID friend has who happened to mention about searching for a church. And I thought, God, you work out yeah. things that we can't figure oh. out. Uh, it, that's providential. But I had to have been there for that year working with her first, right? Uh, we're, we're not what I say, like walking with her, being her friend that led to that. So things will pop up when you're already in motion, just doing whatever. And I still, I, we walked two days ago and I still have this fear. When are we gonna run out of things to talk about? What do I say?
0: <laughs> and,
1: uh, it's, it's just a crazy fear that will me to just to work through. So, uh, So COVID has brought opportunities. And so rather than whining and we do have to realize, and I love all the ministries of church buildings and within the buildings, but, uh, we've got to just say, God help me to read the signs with my neighbors. What can I do? And, uh, mm-hmm. so it's a stretch. It's a stretch. I'm way more comfortable in church. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. one, one more thing before we go, uh, I'd love for people to be able to uh, order your book, and uh, there is a website, a place at mytable.ca, and uh, then we'll put the, all of the ordering instructions uh, into the show notes for the for the podcast. Uh, but uh, anything you want to say about uh, getting a hold of your book?
1: Yeah, if. Um... You can, uh, at the back and it'll be written down. You can always write to me, Susan, at at aplaceatmytable.ca. And I'm working on a companion book, actually, a bit of a study, uh, a further study that will go along, like, what are the biblical principles Mm -hmm. uh, in this, and how can I even dig a little bit deeper than some of the reflections? So I love to dialogue with people, and even at at aplaceatmytable.ca, as I just put some articles in that refer to the book, and uh, just some life lessons for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Susan, uh, I've so enjoyed uh, being with you today and, uh, uh, very enriched, uh, by what you have to write. And, uh, when you get the companion guide done, uh, I hope you got another book in you, uh, because, uh, you got a lot of good things to say.
1: Thanks so, so much. Yeah. yeah.
0: That was Susan Wells. Be sure to order a copy of her book, A Place at My Table speaking of tables somebody that uh, has been a, a close friend of mine uh, over 35 years paul Sherrill, is a man that i've sat at the table with many times and i'm standing here in front of metropolitan hospital in windsor where currently he serves as a chaplain and in the next episode uh, i'm going to interview paul and uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, what it's like in the hospital world in terms of chaplaincy. Uh, He uh, did his uh, training at uh, Mercy Hospital in downtown Detroit, and uh, has worked here in Windsor, in Metropolitan Hospital, uh, the Hotel Du Healthcare System, as well as uh, for several years being the chaplain at our hospice. And uh, there's a wealth of information to be gleaned A lot of wisdom in this upcoming conversation. So until the next time, uh, I'm Kevin Rogers, your host of Sidewalk Skyline 5.